Welcome to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Get the inside scoop on how to help your child become successful in and out of school. As parents, we know that your child can sometimes forget to share the notes from their backpack. That's why we've launched this podcast just for you. Welcome back to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. I'm Keisha DeSandys Lester. And I'm Helen Westmoreland, and we're your co-hosts. Yes, we are. Our topic today is advocacy, which is the foundation of what we do at PTA. As the oldest child advocacy organization in the country, National PTA has a long history of standing up for children's learning, development, and well-being. And I can say, as a newer parent, one of the things that surprised me early on was how early I have to advocate for my kids. What about you, Helen? Absolutely, Keisha. It starts immediately. But I think the biggest thing is, how do you advocate? Like, it seems like a word that we say, but then when you're in it, parents just don't really know. That's so true, Keisha. There are lots of barriers that keep parents from becoming advocates, whether they feel like they don't have the time or they're not sure what to say or they're afraid they might get in trouble for what they say. But advocacy is something that we can practice in our daily lives. And I am so excited to have our guest on the show to share more on this topic. Today, we welcome Rosalia Grillier, affectionately known as Miss Rose, to the show. Miss Rose is currently President Emeritus of Power Pack Illinois, Parents Organized to Win, Educate, and Renew, Policy Action Council, the advocacy arm of Community Organizing and Family Issues, or COFI as we call it. She is one of the founders and governing council members of the United Parent Leaders. Action Network, You Plan. She's received multiple awards and was previously named a Chicago hero and honored nationally by Allstate and the King family. She sits on the board of Navsky and Kofi. Miss Rose is the mother of two daughters. Welcome to the show, Miss Rose. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited for today's conversation. We'd love to just start out with a big open-ended question about your own advocacy journey. What compelled you to become an advocate? Oh, wow. I hope we have enough time (laughs) for that answer. (laughs) So can I start by saying I think advocacy is something that is bigger than oneself. It is an investment into something that you believe in. And It's not enough to just believe in it, but you care enough to actually be a part of what you believe needs to change. So you're willing to dive right in and help improve that. And I think that sometimes it's a journey to that, especially for parents. We care for everyone except ourselves most of the time. And it's really hard to see yourself as an advocate or as a leader. But no one makes us leaders. We're born that way. And sometimes within our journey, folks help us identify what that path actually looks like. And I think that that speaks to my own story. Actually, my road to advocacy really started and Kofi was very instrumental in that I had been diagnosed with terminal cancer all over my body and Mm. hospice told my family, make me comfortable. And I went through all of these rounds of chemo, radiation, spinal chemo. During that journey, I realized 
that there were goals that I myself aspired to. And Kofi helped me start there. And I think that's where we have to start. We have to start with what motivates us. What are our concerns? And that's usually where people begin their advocacy journey. It's wrapped and rooted in the things that are impacting us the most. Yeah, I think that's spot on because I definitely am one of those parents that care more about my kids than myself. So that fierce advocacy started with just speaking up for my own kid. What would you say if a parent is struggling to get their child's needs met at school and where would you advise them to start? So Keisha, let me say you are absolutely right. Our children and families for that matter And their well-being is usually the things that motivate us the most. (laughs) And it's the greatest motivator. I had gotten into a really bad state of depression. And I think that when hope is gone, we definitely feel powerless. And we don't see ourselves as champions for our children. But we are absolutely the best champions for our children. And I think that once we start to think about our own situation and how do we become those advocates and those people for our children. And there are a lot of spaces and places that parents need to advocate for their children. And I think once we're motivated to understand that our voice and our lived experience matters in those situations, And I want to always encourage people to follow the process because sometimes things happen, especially with our children and systems, and it makes us angry and we react as opposed to building those relationships and establishing those spaces and places where we can communicate to the powers that have decision-making power or that are in place to service our children, that we're making sure that they understand that we know our rights, one, within those systems, and Mm -hmm. that our children are human beings and they need the best and most equitable things working on their behalf. So then it allows us to be able to articulate to those different entities just that fact. So we're heard as opposed to reacting the way that oftentimes is warranted for us to react, but we have (laughs) to have restraint so that we're more effective in those spaces and places would be my best Mm -hmm. answer to that. That's awesome. And Helen, you and your team have been doing a lot of work to strengthen those relationships. Do you want to talk about that? So Ms. Rose, we've been working hard at National PTA to update what we call national standards for family school partnerships, which are guidelines for schools to be good partners to parents. And one of those standards and the one we honestly wrestled the most with is around sharing power. So I'd love to ask you, having been in all kinds of dynamics and situations with school systems, health systems, otherwise, what are some good examples of sharing power? Like, what should we be looking for? What does that sound like, feel like to you? So Helen, you know me, you know I'm super candid, and this (laughs) sharing power conversation has so many curves, (laughs) (laughs) We can't possibly dress or cover up all those curves today. I know, we won't let you, yes, yes. I will say that the first and foremost thing for me is that our children 
and families and communities for that matter, they're at the forefront. And there is no successful process without understanding, you know, my favorite phrase, there should be no decisions made about us without us. And in thinking about that, you can't plan around people. Mm. You can try, but it won't work. Right. right. <laughs> That's the point. These are our children at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day and in between. And we have privileged and appreciate those folks who will interact with them in between those times and spaces. But by no means can we be kicked out, left out, or not a part of all of those conversations that will impact our children and ultimately our families and our communities at the end of the day. We should be at every table from beginning to implementation about anything that will be impacting our children. Keisha, what are you wondering? Well, I wonder if you can offer some tips to our listeners about how they can become involved in trying to share this power in advocacy, really organizing the advocacy on a systemic level. So not every ask, so to speak, is starting over. Like we have a pipeline where there's a need or there's a concern and we can just put that in the pipeline and work our advocacy. Keisha, you are spot on. There is no shortage of issues. <laughs> Especially now. Right. And there's no shortage of folks who are working intensely mm-hmm. on these issues. And it is really my firm belief that there is a leader in every one of us. It's a matter of identifying what motivates you. What's your passion? What's your wheelhouse? And especially, what are your gifts and talents? And sometimes we make it feel like this big, heavy monster that's too much for us to list. Mm -hmm. If you start anywhere, you've started somewhere. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be this big production. Even if you're a mom who develops a relationship with your children's teacher, just so that teacher knows that they have an ally. It's going to benefit your child. But there are a plethora of initiatives. For example, Kofi trains parents. We started out as a citywide and then we became statewide. And we've trained parents and entities all across the country in leadership development and skills. And the Kofi model really shows how policy and system issues are at the root cause of most of the reforms that we need to have happen in this day and time and even before now, even before COVID, which we like to blame everything on COVID. But a (laughs) lot of these systems have needed reform even before COVID came along. Yeah, that's right. So locally in your community, find out who's doing what you're interested in being a part of the change you want to see. And then nationally, of course, we have you plan. And Plan is comprised of amazing parent-led organizations all across the country who are doing this work on the ground, and then they come together to change policy systems in early education, early childhood, immigration, real parent engagement, all of those things. And we partner with everyone to make sure that we know where the connections are and what we need to be doing to see the change that we're talking about seeing. I love all of these different spaces and places. And the reason I'm a part of all of it is I want everybody to really get this. It is all connected. 
we might be talking about education, but hunger issues mm. are connected. Violence issues are connected. Poverty absolutely is connected. Equity, everything, social, emotional, mental wellness. I got a whole list and I know I need to stop. <laughs> Name uh, off all of these things. No, you don't need to stop. But I want people to really understand that we need to start disseminating, breaking down these silos because it's all connected. And we can spend those efforts figuring out how. They're connected Mm -hmm. and how we can be of support to one another as opposed to everybody fighting over this one little pot of money that wasn't enough in the first place. How do we be strategic and intentional to bring back human? I want all of our children, no matter where you're from or what your background or history or any of those things, all of our children have a right for us to make sure that they can live their best life and thrive. And it behooves us because this is our future. Mm -hmm. You want to be creating sound, strong, fervent adults. And I just need us to start to make those concerted efforts to do whatever we can do. Your little bit becomes much when we put it all together. Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that. I do too. Your little bit becomes much. So one thing I was actually thinking about earlier is going back to your journey a little bit, Miss Rose, because I think sometimes we like to tell stories here on the podcast and sometimes a story really illustrates, right? Like advocacy can seem so abstract. Could you share with us a win or advocacy sort of campaign that you've been involved in that might illustrate some of the principles you're talking about? Oh my God, Helen, we don't have enough time for all that. (laughs) We We have time. We make the time. (laughs) Kofi was a part of helping me recognize the leader in myself. And I think it started with my children. I think about my oldest daughter, who is technically a genius, but she's a diverse learner. And Mm -hmm. as a parent, I really didn't understand a lot about that. And Mm -hmm. I've come up in a culture where, first of all, it's my way or the highway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kofi helped me learn that process through some of the tools in their training that the my way or the highway wasn't always the best way. And Mm -hmm. it opened up a line of communication with my girls that, oh my God, I thank God every day for it because Mm -hmm. it built trust Mm -hmm. and it put them in a feeling that they could come to me about anything. So I was fortunate that my oldest daughter, because she's a diverse learner and a lot of our children are, and this makes me angry, are slipping through the cracks of what is not their fault because they learn in a different way than that one size fits all pathway that society has created. And some of these children are brilliant, but because they learn different and they don't test the same way or they don't grasp the same way doesn't mean they don't grasp at all. Mm -hmm. But I was fortunate enough to have a counselor and a principal who knew me and they had worked with me and they saw things were happening with my daughter and they called me in and they said, we don't know what's going on. We know she's brilliant and she's in jeopardy of getting an F in several classes Mm. and what's going on. 
it turned out at the end of the day that she was a diverse learner. And because other students in her class, maybe the teacher had to go over it more than once or twice. She was over it. After the first time, she grasped <laughs> it and she figured, oh, I'm done. I'm not. Y'all could keep talking about that, but I'm moving on. But you can't just do that. And right. she didn't understand how that worked. So they were like, she didn't turn in these processes. So come to find out, she had done every stitch of the work. But didn't bother. It was beyond oh, her to, to turn, turn it, it in. in. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but I was able to work with the principal, the teachers, and the counselors. And to they help. said, if on today she could bring us all of that work, we'll grade it fairly. And whatever that work says she ends up with will be her grade. Oh, now, wow. trust me, I don't miss appreciate and understand how blessed I was to have that happen. But that is not what happens for the average child. So it made me get busy Mm. and it made me get to work to make sure that first of all, all of our parents understood their rights within IEPs and how that system worked. And we started inviting folks from CPS, the Chicago Public School System, Mm. Diverse Learners Department to speak to forums and town halls full of parents so they understood they're right. So this is what I mean when I say everything that happens to us should be the motivation for us to make change within that for other people. And that really motivated me. They put her in another school that could keep up with her pace mm-hmm. and she was tutoring other students. She ended up graduating oh. valedictorian oh. of that. But wow. I was blessed. Yeah. And I knew that I couldn't just take that blessing and not make sure that other children who were facing this, who maybe didn't have advocates like I had on their side that they wouldn't fall through those cracks as well. So to date, a lot of our parents have gone through those different trainings. They understand that process. We've even had folks from CPS come in and sit in on some of those IEPs and change the whole dynamic in that meeting from parents being Mm -hmm. told, oh, well, that's it. That's all. No, they knew their rights and they had those folks that were the heads of those offices in those meetings. Those people was jumping and dancing and doing what they were supposed to do. It makes a difference. And you don't have to change everything, but I encourage you to change something. Mm-hmm. It's right. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Well, one thing I can say, you talked about what motivates a parent. And I think about my son is in first grade, Ellington, and he was in kindergarten last year, which is when most schools were going back full time or at least in a heavy hybrid situation in the school. And it was so hard to watch my son get acclimated and navigate through kindergarten and not be able to be in the classroom. So it was essential that I built a relationship with the teacher, mostly over Zoom and email. But I loved how you were sharing that when you start building that relationship, good or bad feedback just hits different when you already have open conversation. What do you recommend for families as far as how they can really just build a strong relationship with the teacher and with the administrators in the school? There is so much going on in our schools. 
and this is the reason we have so many campaigns. And when you were talking, it brought me back to even through our elementary justice campaign. Once upon a time in Chicago, they were putting kindergartners out, suspending, expelling. Even there was an incident of an arrest of a kindergarten. Oh, my goodness. And to me, that is a travesty. So through our work, we worked hard to change a lot of the school discipline policies, that handbook that, first of all, most parents didn't even read because it says student uniform discipline. So they thought it was about what uniform children wear and they weren't even, you know, so having language that everybody understands what we're talking about, first of all, and then changing within that some of the policies. We've been able to remove booking stations out of schools. We've been able to change whether or not they can suspend children, first, second grade, so on and so forth, and the level of expulsions, which we know oftentimes is targeted to black and brown communities. I will say it again starts with parents. There are so many issues, but if you can go and get to know your children's teacher, and I know oftentimes it's hard if you have more than one child, there are multiple teachers, but it's an investment as far as I'm concerned, because letting that teacher know is benefit both ways. It's a benefit to you because the teacher can already understand that they have an ally, as I said earlier. But it's beneficial to the teacher because they don't feel alone or afraid. And especially in culturally diverse communities, Mm -hmm. there are not always teachers in place who understand the dynamic of that community. So you can be that liaison that destroys some of the myths and some of the bad narratives that have been established, especially that parents don't care or welfare Mm -hmm. mom. You know the list of things that are said about us. So that parent gets to know you as an individual and gets Mm -hmm. to know that you don't fit in that box that society has so-called put you in. So then you become partners in making sure that your child's educated well. I think about a time they had this silent lunch Mm. thing going on at that school. And these children are in school all these hours. And then they have a plethora of homework when they get home. So that's a big part of their day. And there's no break in the day. And these are human beings. Animals at the zoo get a break in the day. That was the same premise behind our recess efforts when we brought our recess back to Chicago. And it was the same premise for me within this charter school. This is a human being. You're not going to work a 10 to 12 hour job and not take a break in the day because you're a human being. And our children don't deserve less than that. So I say, you need to come up with a better system. That is not going to work. And I rolled up there at that time. I was still in my chair. And I said, we have to have a conversation. I didn't go up there and see, this is the difference I want parents to understand. Sometimes you're not wrong, so don't make it wrong. And we make it wrong with our Mm. approach sometimes. And I'm not saying Mm. you're not supposed to be fired up and angry because I was. But (laughs) I am saying that we have to understand that our child is more important than our feelings. And we have to start and try to approach this in an intelligent way so that we are heard. Because what we have to say is important. So I need you to hear me. And I got a loud mouth. Maybe everybody doesn't have a loud mouth. But you can still (laughs) hear me with a soft voice if I am articulated to you 
what I am not willing to accept from you and suggested to you a way that you can make it better. So they ended up with something that was really a compromise for me. They ended up putting a stoplight in the lunchroom. <laughs> and when it was green, you were at an oh. acceptable level. And when it was yellow, oh. be careful because you guys are getting way out of hand. And when it was red, okay, you're over the top. Well, no, that's not ideal. But it was a compromise to you telling my child as a human being they can't talk at a space and time, which is lunch, that they should be able to talk Mm -hmm. and consult with their friends and their peers. I had to meet in the middle with their. But sometimes you need allies because Mm -hmm. sometimes one voice is whistling in the wind. And I don't have no problem with going around the parents and say, did this happen to you? That's right. Have you heard mm-hmm. about this? <laughs> How do you feel about this? So reaching out to other parents who are having this experience and finding out that you all are on the same page and coming up with a plan where you all go in there together and say, this is what we need to happen. This is what we don't like. This is what we're hearing. And all of those things, but not just complaints, but solutions recommendations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you said it best. Our children are more important than our feelings. So yes, we have to channel it. I've been in Mm -hmm. that situation before and you don't want to make it wrong because of your response. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a misunderstanding. This is why communication and relationship building is so very important. Again, I thank God that I was blessed that my children had teachers and administrators who cared, but I also am aware of the fact that not all children have that. You could let that be your parting words if you want, but you've shared so much wisdom with us, Ms. Rose. This has been an incredible conversation, but we do want to give you the opportunity for parting words. So any takeaways of anything you've shared or not shared that you want to just leave at the front of the mind for our listeners? You can do it. Mm. You can be a part, if not the catalyst, for the change that you want to see. And it's not as hard as we make it. Again, something that seems like a little bit of nothing has grown into campaigns that have now gone national that I myself and other amazing parents have been at the forefront of. But it just takes you to try. Identify how much, when and where you want to give it. Mm-hmm. And make people value you. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. lived experience and your voice absolutely matters. You have a PhD in your child, in your family, and in your community. So don't look at other people's paper. Use your own. I know. If our listeners want to connect with you, Miss Rose, or learn more about the work you're doing or any resources, do you have any websites or resources you'd like to share with them? Absolutely. So check us out at kofionline.org. We don't cause people to reinvent the wheel. Everything we've done, we make publications so you don't have to start over. You can take what we've done and see where it fits what you're trying to do. Then unitedparentleaders.org. Look at the work we're doing nationally. And even beyond that, look in your own neck of the woods and see who's doing what and what you're interested in being a part of and just be a part of it. I would like to recommend, there's this new book called Everyone Wins. And It's by Dr. Karen Mapp, Ann Henderson, 
and some other Harvard research folks. I don't like getting into name calling because I'm going to mess up and not remember everybody's name. But it's amazing. And the title is so important. Everyone wins. Just think about that. And that's the kind of atmosphere we have to think about when we're talking about our schools and our children and all the systems that will help develop them into what we hope to be really courageous, strong, productive human beings. They've done the research. And it suggests that engaging families in education not only improves student achievements, their social, emotional development, but is also filtered in helping make stronger families. And we all know stronger families breed stronger communities. And there are so many things going on in our society now. We need stronger families and stronger communities. But in addition to that, it boosts teachers and administrators' effectiveness in the realm of education. So I would further suggest that if we're intentional about making sure that these systems are working effectively and productively and all of these meetings and questions that we're asked will really be answered if we're thinking about it as a collective. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Rose. Thank you guys for having me. You all are so cool. Helen, I love you, miss you. It's uh, no. so oh, great to meet you. It's so Have wonderful, a wonderful to meet week. you. Yes, right. Miss Rose. Thank you so much. And to our audience listening today, thank you for joining us. For more resources related to this episode, check out notesfromthebackpack.com. Thanks for tuning in and join us next time. Thank you for tuning in to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at National PTA and online at pta.org forward slash backpack notes. <laughs>